0: Welcome to Hive Mind. I'm Meg. I'm here with Eli. Hey, Eli.
1: Good afternoon. How are you? Oh, you know, just striving to thrive, thriving to strive.
0: (laughs) Sure, sure. Uh, Tell me what you've been watching.
1: So since we saw Barbie last week, Skylar and I went on a Greta Gerwig binge over the weekend. Uh, We watched uh, Frances Ha, which I had never seen. What'd you think? Uh, it's, it's clever. It's pretty funny. It's probably not a movie. I would revisit much. Um, uh, a little, little slow for me. There was this one line in it that made us both burst out laughing. And she's complaining about this guy that her friend, the Greta Gerwig's character, she's complaining about this guy, her friend is dating. And she says, uh, he's like the kind of guy who would buy a black leather couch and then be like, yeah, I like this couch, and I don't know why, but that line is so was so <laughs> funny to us. I was like, "Yeah, that's a a really particular description," and I understand it somehow. But
0: like, I see that guy immediately. Yeah, yeah, it works. Yeah, it was
1: it was fine. I I didn't dislike it or anything, but um, you know, it, I think her later work has been much better. Uh, and so yeah, so we watched uh, Lady Bird, which. I could never get sick of just a phenomenal film and uh little women, which I could never get sick of another phenomenal film. So it was like a, it was a fun, a fun little weekend uh, uh, of doing that. Uh, I finished, I told you last time we recorded, I was watching platonic, which mm-hmm. is a, I guess it's a mini series. I don't think there's going to be another season. Oh, okay. Um, With <clears throat> Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen about uh, two people in their forties, a man and a woman who are friends. Um, it, it was. I, I think I mostly recommend it. It okay. was. Yeah. It, it was. It kind of had a, a nice story arc. Uh, I generally appreciated, uh, like we talked about previously, seeing a story that focuses on and highlights a, a non-romantic relationship between a man and a woman. Yeah. Um. I I think the series a little bit failed to deliver on that promise because there were moments where it was like, "Will they, or won't they like a Ugh. little bit where I was like, but like, if you didn't have the will they, or won't they, that would be better. But they were, they were subtle enough that it wasn't like the point of the series. So I, yeah. I don't know all in all it, pretty entertaining. Um, and, uh, that's, that's kind of it. How about you?
0: I have seen Barbie twice since we went so three times total. What? Yeah, I went, uh, I took Ivy and Ramona, my two daughters, um, which, you know, we had talked at the end of last episode whether or not I would. And I ultimately decided I would. I did have a conversation with them in the car on the way there. Like, hey, there are some words in this movie we shouldn't say in mixed company. Like I gave that little like, preclaimer. Um. Ivy really liked it. She said it was more serious than she was expecting. Ramona was out to lunch the entire time. Like it, the themes, the dialogue went way over her head. And
1: she she's eight. She's so eight. A twelve year old and an eight year old is what we're talking so about. I
0: think, I think like eleven is the youngest I would go. Not because it's inappropriate, just because they wholly will not understand what's happening. That said, Ramona did come home and order a Barbie, so good job, Mattel. It worked
1: well, so that 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 surprises me that she was bored. i It doesn't surprise me that the themes would have been over her head. um, but it surprises me that she was bored because I had predicted like it's such a colorful film with like such a vibrant set that I just thought like a kid would be interested in this, right?
0: Yeah, and it held her interest for the first half an hour. And then, you know, once they got to the real world, I think she started to lose interest. And then when they get to Barbie, back to Barbie land, it's like it's serious for a minute before it gets really cartoony again. And that's when she was like feet up in the air, squirming in her seat, making like playing with her straw, making the like, you know, just like could not sit still. So interesting. And And maybe she has a shorter attention span than other eight year olds, but I don't think too much
1: yeah you and then but you saw it a third time
0: I did yeah our friends had their anniversary party their 15th anniversary so I took Steven to go see it and it was his first time and he loved it
1: what so uh, how was it seeing it three times for you?
0: I caught different jokes every time the first mm-hmm. time we talked about like I missed a lot because people were laughing so hard. so the second time I was able to catch more and then the third time. I think my anxiety was high with my two girls there that I wasn't really entertaining. I wasn't entertaining me. I wasn't enjoying it. I was like so preoccupied with what their response would be. But the third time when I was with Steven and he was loving it, like might be my favorite time. Like it was so fun and funny. And I feel like I've caught everything now and can fully appreciate it.
1: Well, Barbie is breaking box office records and you are a major contributor to that. Yeah, I no, you're like.
0: welcome, Greta. I, <laughs> Yeah, it's important to me that she succeeds. So I'm doing my part. Um, we, I've started watching The Real Housewives of New York, okay. the new season, which is... So they had a group of women who were on the show for 13 season, seasons and they've just rebooted rebo- it sorry, I cannot talk today. Um, with women who are like my age, around my age, a little older, Jenna Lyons is one of them, who was the president of J. Crew for a long time. Super interesting, super awkward on screen. Um, there's like an influencer, there's uh, someone in the PR fashion world, some of them are just like straight up wealthy. One of them's like a party girl. Eli, I'm really liking it. Mm. I went in with low expectations and I'm having a great time. Uh Emily and I will be talking more about that on the bonus feed next week. So stay tuned for that. We what are their still...
1: apartments like?
0: Um, We've only seen three, four of them so far. And like Jenna Lyons apartment, she was the president of J. Crew. It's like very bespoke and fun, but it is the size of my kitchen. Like it is very small. Um, one of them lives in a Brooklyn brownstone, which is great. Um, one of them lives in Columbus Circle and it's just her. So it's small, but really nice. Uh, I'm waiting to see like the person who lives in a true New York apartment, like bathroom is in the kitchen and it's one room altogether, you know?
1: So Um, my, my, I I don't really, I don't watch any of the Real Housewives franchises. Um, mm -hmm. I've probably seen a total of 40 minutes of any episode ever. But my, my impression was that this all started to follow around like very, very wealthy women. Is that not really the case anymore? Or was that never the case?
0: I mean, that's the case here. They're all very wealthy.
1: Okay. But they have tiny apartments.
0: They live in New York. Yeah,
1: I know. But some uh, very, very wealthy people in New York have large apartments.
0: I mean, the largest apartment that I've seen so far is probably half the size of my house, which is like, for New York, that's pretty big. But we're not Mm -hmm. talking like Jack Donaghy's apartment here.
1: That's what I pictured.
0: But you know, they also have like homes in the Hamptons. Yeah. Okay. So like this last episode they go to one of the women's home in the Hamptons, which is 10 bedrooms, set of baths. So mm. they're clearly wealthy.
1: Well, because I, I know somebody who works for like a very wealthy family in New York and their apartment is like three levels and it's way bigger than my house. Whoa. And so like, that's what I was imagining would be the real housewives of New York.
0: I mean, they all seem pretty fine for new york like fine but i'm not an expert so
1: interesting well because i know like a lot of the um observation about the real housewives of salt lake were i remember hearing people say like oh these are a lot of kind of more normies of salt lake
0: here's what i think happened there um A lot of the very wealthy people in Salt Lake are also members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the Real Housewives doesn't really get interesting until people start drinking. Like, it usually takes a little bit of alcohol to get some fights starting, and I think the producers were like, we are not going to get these women to a level where they're going to be throwing tables if they're not drinking. Okay. Okay that's my guess
1: casting was challenging um, um re-watching
0: okay. 30 rock and that's pretty much it and then saw Oppenheimer
1: yes three hours okay. three hours of it
0: <laughs> I I saw this movie and I was with it for the first two hours I okay. was like I see the seams here this movie has its flaws Christopher Nolan is being Christopher Nolan but I this is interesting enough like I am invested enough in this story for the first you know length of what a movie should be the final hour I was so bored I was Ramona-ing in my theater I was like stretching I was looking around I was Gone. I this movie was so much longer than it needed to be, for absolutely no reason. We did not need Robert Downey Jr. in this at all. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts. Uh,
1: I I was I was not ever bored. Uh, I think Christopher Nolan has never had a conversation with a woman. No, I'm not even sure he's met one before. Ah, uh, this is a movie where. I think there were three women total that appeared in it,
0: and they uh, all were sexually connected to oh, Robert Oppenheimer.
1: well, goodness, it, so yeah, there's th- basically three women who even appear in it at all. One of them, Florence Pugh, is just naked every time she's on screen and has absolutely no backstory or personality that is ever given any kind of care. Uh, one of them is uh his wife. Who is crying every time she's on screen and sort of a hysterical mess, um, with ma- with one minor exception, and then the third one briefly passes through talking about her uterus and like that's it. And I was like, <laughs> this movie did not get within a hundred thousand miles of the Bechdel test. <laughs> like, it's like,
0: can the Bechdel test go into the negatives? This it would have been it would have cleared. It would have come closer to passing the Bechdel test if there just weren't women in it at all. It yeah. was like in the opposite direction of having no women. It was toward like whatever the opposite of Bechdel is.
1: It it it, it was. It, so um, we we just saw Barbie last week, and there's a whole montage of Barbie that we talked about where the the Barbies have to manipulate the Kens into like doing what they want, and so they come up with this big plan where they stroke all the Ken's egos in in the funniest possible ways. And one of them, it, one of the ways they do it is they have a Barbie go to a Ken and be like, can you explain The Godfather to me? It's so confusing. And he's you know all excited. There is a part in Oppenheimer where he's at a party and a woman walks up to him and says- can you explain like nuclear fusion to me? It seems impossible to understand. <laughs> and Skylar and I both burst out laughing because we're like, we literally just saw Barbie like 48 hours ago. And this is a joke in Barbie, except this movie is totally serious about that. You know, like there's no self-awareness at
0: all. So the irony for that is that I wanted more than anything for these characters, for Christopher Nolan, for everyone involved in this making in the making of this motion picture to explain to me how they were doing the science that they were doing Mm -hmm. every conversation we get with these scientists is about theoretical physics but in a way that's like not even related to the making of the bomb like I wanted to know how they were refining the uranium, plutonium, and whatever. And like, what, what was activating the atomic bomb? What made it work? There was none of that at all. There, It's so talky. Yeah, There's so much dialogue in this movie. And none of it got me any closer to understanding how they built this thing, which was the movie I was expecting. I oh. was expecting a movie about the making of the atomic bomb with Robert J. Oppenheimer at the center of it. What I got was a Robert Oppenheimer biopic where the atomic bomb is part of the story and then a completely separate like hour and a half that I just didn't care about at all.
1: Well, okay, I to to defend the movie a little bit because I I did not have a problem with the third hour like you did. I thought it was interesting. I think I agree with you. This movie did not get me any closer to understanding the science or what what a nuclear bomb is which I would have found really interesting I would love to see a movie that like really dives into that and helps me understand that Um, I do think what this movie was effective at was explaining the conversation around the ethics of developing and then using the bomb at that time and I, I thought that aspect of sort of the drama around the characters kind of grappling with why are we making this should we be making this the, and 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 in showing the use of the bomb in testing, like I thought, was really effective. At like, oh, this is kind of a terrifying thing that we've created. I thought the movie was the high production quality of the movie was effective at communicating those things. And then the third hour, kind of tracking that ethics conversation on the back end of like we use this, was it worth it? Was it good? And the politics sort of happening around that with all of these people sort of eating each other alive, I found interesting. Um, I my my issues with the film apart from like the misogyny that we talked about were I I thought the storytelling the storytelling itself felt a little soulless to me and I thought it was the storytelling was erratic in a lot of ways and sometimes kind of hard to track and yes. it it felt like Nolan was trying to tell like nine different stories and I just think that that could work in a mini series, but I think in a movie, he really needed to like focus a little bit more.
0: Okay. If I had submitted a story like this to any editor in the world, within the first 30 seconds of reading it, they would come back to me and say, you have got to pick a lane. You yeah. are trying to do four things at once here and you don't have the word count for it. He didn't have the word count to do this. He tried to cram in everything. And then he decides to be all Christopher Nolan-y about it and mess up the timeline using black and white and colored and then colored where it should be black and white, making it needlessly confusing. I found the conversation around the ethics of this bomb to be incredibly clunky. We didn't see Robert Oppenheimer truly grappling with the creation of the bomb until after they had dropped it on Hiroshima and he had a brief moment of visions of what some of the bodies might look like after we by the way didn't see a single victim in this film right and I feel like it would have been a much more emotional emotionally impactful story if we had seen at least some of the devastation That this actually caused there's also just like straight up misinformation about it there's that scene where they're meeting with i believe it's a general of the army who's like well here's we're looking at these cities where we want to drop the bomb and i don't want to drop it here kyoto because i honeymoon there like he looks like a buffoon yeah in reality in all of these biographies and books that have been written about this process this man was tortured about what they were about to do and it just felt like too convenient for Nolan to kind of paint him as this thoughtless guy I also got weirdly patriotic in this movie because Christopher Nolan is British and he's making this movie about like an American event when you meet the president and he's a total buffoon I'm like how dare you sir this (laughs) isn't your story these aren't your people like this was Our thing that we were dealing with and Oppenheimer was American and I, what gives you the right, you know, and I know that's silly, but I did get kind of like, these people are caricatures, there's no way none of them were grappling with the idea of this before it happened and weren't like feeling like they had blood on their hands like I just don't buy that, and I don't think it was well executed. At all. I just feel like it was missing a lot of emotional intelligence in a lot of ways.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I really got that to, to the degree that you're describing because as I was watching it and hearing the conversations that they were showing of people ha- you know talking about like, well, if we don't do this, more lives could be lost. Well, why can't we just drop the bomb like outside of a populated area and show them what we're capable of? Well that won't really work in this situation because unless they know that we're willing to pull the trigger on this, they're going to think we're bluffing. You know, I, I, I found that conversation really interesting. And that's the thing I've been thinking about now for the last like five days is like, Oh, like that, that is a really fascinating conversation. And like, who had the real answers about like, what, what was likely to transpire if they didn't use it in that way, or if they did use it in that way, you know, I, I, Thought, I thought it was interesting. Um, I think the I, I think the the problem was again there were so many stories happening and the storytelling was erratic. And so like may, it might just be the case, Meg, that like I focused in on that part and you focused in on another part, and there were a billion parts to focus in on. And so like everybody's gonna come out of this with like a completely different perspective, you know? I yeah. just. I think this could have been much better as a nine-part HBO series.
0: <laughs> and I, I would watch that. I would enjoy that. In fact, I hope someone makes that. You know, I think this is an interesting story. I walked away from this movie being like, I think I want to read a couple of books about this because this movie gave me nothing and made me realize what I do want to know yeah. about the making of the atomic gun, even about Robert Oppenheimer and about all these theorists, uh, these physicists who were there with him. And I just didn't get enough from this movie that was three hours long and should have been giving me much more. Instead, we're focusing like half the time on whether or not he was a communist. Mm-hmm. And like I told you, it just makes me laugh because Hollywood cannot get over communism. Right. Because McCarthyism was the only time they've ever been persecuted. And they just right. cannot let go of that. They love their McCarthyism stories so much and in my mind it's crazy to me that this is a movie about the dropping of the atomic bomb and we're spending this much time on communism you know who shouldn't get a security clearance a guy who's connected to communism like (laughs) I did I wasn't I didn't care you know I didn't care I think he probably shouldn't have that security clearance I'm sorry (laughs) he was dangerous you know What's an isotope? There's the whole thing about like the Senate hearing and there's this debacle about isotopes and how it embarrassed Robert Downey Jr. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Either yeah. I'm too smart for this movie or too dumb for them this movie, but I am not at the intelligence movie level this movie's requiring of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, you
1: you you texted me uh, something that I also made me laugh in the movie and like cringe. And it's when there's a point where uh, Oppenheimer's friend tells him it's okay that he's a terrible father because he's a genius. Oh my gosh. And in light of, again, the the misogyny conversation, it's just like, this movie has no self-awareness. Like it, it, it really is it, the movie's position that like he might've been a bad father, but he was an incredible physicist and ultimately isn't that important. You know, and it's very, very funny to me.
0: It's very funny. It, I just think Nolan can't read a room. The scene where the sex scene with Florence Pugh, where she makes him read the Sanskrit, was straight up a Christopher Nolan fantasy and no one else's. Like that was the worst sex scene I have ever seen in my entire life. In like a please never subject that me to that ever again kind of way. Like he just can't do it. He can't figure out what to do with female characters. And it is shocking that in 2023, he can't get like a co-writer or somebody who can help him, you know?
1: It, the, the the sex scenes in this movie in the worst possible way felt sweaty. Like cool. it, it was just like, ugh.
0: <laughs> Neither of the actors wanted to be there. You know, like it was like apparent how terrible this was for everybody. And I'm like, Chris, buddy, just go back to like your PG-13 weird time travel stuff because this is, I can tell that's what you wanted to do, but you had source material here that you're trying to turn into a movie and a lot of it was just not successful. There was a moment when I laughed out loud in the theater and I think I lost a lot of potential friends in our theater because of it. But he's sitting in this interrogation room with this kind of... um kangaroo court committee that Robert Downey Jr. I don't know the character's name. I don't care. Has put together to revoke his security clearance. And they ask him a question that's clearly biased. And he turns to Bernard the elf from the Santa Claus. And he says, will anyone ever tell the truth about what happened in this room? And Eli, I lost my freaking mind. Like he wrote a character that would say Thank you christopher nolan for telling the truth about what actually happened in my life read the room like get a little bit of subtlety what are you doing this is a prestige movie does he not have any editors like it's wild to me
1: um performance wise all over the place um, I
0: loved Matt Damon actually. Me
1: too. He was my Matt Damon was my favorite person in the movie. I thought he was great.
0: I wanted a movie about Matt Damon's character.
1: Um, I, I thought Cillian Murphy was good. Florence Pugh had nothing to do. She was a non-character. Emily Blunt was good, but I was frustrated with the portrayal of that character.
0: Yeah. They didn't um, give her anything meaningful to do. She,
1: she had one good scene in the entire movie where she sort of stands up to the kangaroo court. And It was sort of her Marissa Talmay, uh my cousin Vinny scene where she kind of like goes toe to toe with the lawyers. And, it, and it, it was good. And I was like, show me more of that character if that's who she is. Then like pepper the movie with that kind of strong, yeah. witty personality. But the rest of the movie, she's just like drunk and crying the whole time. So I was just like, okay, well, Emily Against Blunt's being wasted. So I, don't, funky. I don't know if this is going to be an unpopular thing to say, but I cannot stand Rami Malik.
0: Oh, no, he's a terrible actor. He's a ter- he's terrible, right? Yeah, he's such a ham.
1: Every time he shows, I feel like he's cheesy. Like, there's something about him that's so cheesy. I put him in the same camp as Eddie Redmayne,
0: yeah. where,
1: like, every time I see them, I'm like, ugh.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. I 100% agree. And when he shows up at the end, I had seen him once before in this movie with 5,000 characters. I had no idea who this guy was or why he was important.
1: Right. He he's, he's in a scene deep into the movie where he has zero lines. And I was like, why did Rami Malek just make... Uh, like an appearance where with no lines 75% of the way through this movie. And then suddenly at the end, he had like this huge part in front of Congress and comes out and does this big grandstanding cheesy Rami Malek scene. And I was like, what? Like, and this is, again, this is, this is a victim of not being able to choose what story you want to tell where like you have an, an Oscar winning actor that you're putting in this film who apparently has a significant role, but only in the last 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. He had no time to introduce this character or help us understand who he was or why he was in this movie because there were a thousand other stories he was telling about a thousand other people. Really odd choice.
0: It's an odd choice. I think, you know, I set myself up for failure here because I, I know who Christopher Nolan is and I know that his movies aren't for me, but I really liked Dunkirk and I thought this was going to be Dunkirk-esque um, and just very focused on what it was trying to do and I thought it was all over the place um I thought that it was an hour too long I thought that it was unsuccessful in delivering what should have been a very emotionally impactful um storytelling and I just I'm not gonna say I hate it I said I hated it after I saw it and I kind of made that my personality for a minute I don't think it's a I don't think it's a terrible movie I don't even think it's a bad movie I just think it could have been such a better movie than
1: what it is um the the very wor- the most offensive thing about this movie even like compared to the misogyny was benny safty's hungarian accent Not Meg, like
0: benny safty
1: i felt such secondhand embarrassment for him every time he was on screen yeah it, it he is so bad in this movie that it it almost feels like he's doing it intentionally but i know he's not yeah his his hungarian accent is so embarrassing in this and he's he's doing this thing it's it's the thing that annoys me the most in movies like of of anything it's where somebody's like oh i am a russian who speaks english or you know what whatever country and so they do this incredibly strong strong accent But they're speaking perfect English, like using, you know, seven syllable words. And it's like, no, when a person has mastered a language well enough to have that large of a vocabulary, their accent is no longer that strong. Yeah. And so like you're speaking with an accent of somebody who knows 20 words in English. Yeah, And you and I have met people like that, you know, who are like, hello, how are you? And like, that's all they know how to say. And it's like, yeah, that's what your accent sounds like. But if, if you're able to talk about like nuclear fusion, then you have just a slight accent at that point.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. But again, I don't think Christopher Nolan's really interested in character development or real people. He's interested in showing off he's interested in showing off his filmmaking skills and you know what it's beautiful it It is is. a very well-made movie it is really interesting to look at I thought the bomb detonation that they do was really uh exciting and terrifying and definitely should have been the climax of the film um but just visually a stunning movie I just wish it had tried a little harder to deliver on the characters and the storytelling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all that. This is not a movie. I think I, I will ever watch again in my life. Uh, I, I, again, I was not bored with it, but I've been like rolling my eyes about it ever since I saw it and, and annoyed with a lot of aspects of it. Uh, critics love it. it has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. I, uh, pretty much everybody i know except for you and me and a little bit skylar that i that that i know who has seen it has really loved it. So then to
0: be fair there is a lot of talk about the misogyny in it and how how poorly written the female characters are.
1: You've seen other i i have not really yeah. looked into this so i'm not i'm not unique in in noticing that.
0: Um and like i mentioned the misinformation about the us officials there's been a lot of chatter about that um Oh,
1: you know what I was gonna say, and I-, I have not looked into this. I don't know how accurate this is. Uh, but one of the most interesting things of, that I learned in this movie that I had never heard before was before they created the bomb, they like were you know kind of developing theory around like what could the bomb do, and they there was a theory that letting off a nuclear bomb would cause a chain reaction that would just destroy the the, the planet that mm-hmm. like once it hit air it would just keep propelling and propelling until the whole world was destroyed and if that's true that is terrifying that there was like mm-hmm. a moment where they're like oh one bomb could like literally annihilate the entire planet like that's a possibility that we can see theoretically happening um, i thought that was like that that made the stakes as high as possible you know and i yeah and i was like if that conversation was really happening at that time like i would not want to i would not want to have known about it
0: right there's (laughs) so many things that i'm like i hope someone's taking care of this you know i don't want to please don't tell me yeah Mm -hmm. that was interesting you're right that was an interesting part Mm well wish there had been more like those
1: uh in in short in summary go see barbie three times (laughs) maybe see oppenheimer once
0: (laughs) I'm glad I saw it. It was fun to be part of like, we're seeing these two movies and I have a clear favorite. And it kind of hurt the movie that I had seen Barbie right before. You know, if you're going to do it, if you haven't seen both, I would see Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. Um, The other way will really make you hate Oppenheimer.
1: (laughs) I I think we expect it to be featured heavily at the Oscars um, and probably Barbie as well.
0: Yeah. Um speaking of Oscars and prestige movies, we got a request that we talk about Past Lives. Um which has kind of been buried under all of this and also with the strike um but I think it's still playing in theaters so and should be streaming soon. Um but we're going to do that for next week if that's all right with you. What is it? It is about two <sighs> who grew up in korea together and then she moved to america and got married and he reconnects with her and then i don't know what happens after that okay but people cool. really love it cool all right okay talk to you next week Bye.